Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Continuing our exploration of the book of the prophet Hosea, in chapter 2, he launches into a series of poignant images that parallel his wife's infidelity with Israel's, putting him in my shoes a while. Structurally, this opening sequence of Hosea's lecture, chapters 1 through 3, serves as a personified prelude to the messages that will be aimed directly at Israel once chapter 4 kicks in. As Hosea describes his home life, Gomer personifies Israel as she goes after lovers, paying them with sex in order to purchase wool, flax, oil, and drink. That's Hosea 2.5. Not realizing that Hosea slash Yahweh is the one who gives her grain, wine, and oil, as well as the silver and gold that gets offered to Baal. Hosea 2.8. Gomer actually leaves Hosea to pursue those other lovers and suffers great ruin. So will Israel. Hosea 2.9 By her own actions, Gomer slash Israel has left the home and protection of Hosea slash Yahweh, and by her own volition she brings upon herself the most severe consequences. Gomer's slash Israel's downward spiral is so complete that she ends up a slave to another. The freedom and bounty and life of a loving marriage has been exchanged for its antithesis, and it is right there in the pits of rock bottom that we introduce a new theme to this troubled symphony. Hosea slash Yahweh will take her back will buy her back from the one who's enslaved her. In Hosea 3, the prophet buys his wife back, just as I will purchase my bride and redeem her from the slavery to which she has submitted herself. Gomer costs Hosea 15 shekels of silver and around 400 pounds of barley. I will spend far, far more. Once Gomer is back in Hosea's household, she is under his protection. But she will have no intimate relations with him or anyone else for an extended period. As a mirror to Israel's future, they are about to enter a long time of exile in which they will have neither human king nor any place to offer sacrifices to their true king. The potential for intimacy with me that has been right in front of them all these years will be withdrawn for a very long time. However, at just the right time, the Israelites will return and seek Yahweh their God and David their king. They will come trembling to Yahweh to his blessing in the last days. That's Hosea 3, 1-5. 
With that quick reference to David, Hosea engages in portends fulfillment of our promises to David, which naturally flow from the Abraplan itself. This third chapter is all of five verses, but packs quite a punch. And the Abraplan will again roll along toward its ultimate fulfillment. With the end of the brief third chapter of his lecture, Hosea leaves his accounts of his home-life metaphor and shifts to straight, aimed-between-the-eyes prophecy. He lays into the people for their cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Hosea 4.2 Then he really lays into the priests for not doing their job. 4.4 and following. Harkening back to the first Jeroboam's mishandling of the priesthood right off the bat, commanding them to break my commands concerning worship, driving those with any integrity from the land, appointing his own priests that had as much of Aaron's blood in them as the nearest grasshopper. Then comes the unpacking of the metaphor of Gomer, and Israel's whoring is bluntly described and condemned for the rest of Hosea's fourth chapter. The themes we've mentioned are woven together throughout Hosea's lecture. Israel will suffer judgment and exile because over and over she has slept with other gods. This is more than mere metaphor, for the worship of the various pagan fertility gods includes having worship sex with the temple prostitutes. Hosea 4.11 and following. The people of Israel are chastised for placing their trust in the strength of Assyria instead of in the one who holds real power and healing. Israel is taken to task not only for playing the whore with other gods, but for offering me sacrifices empty of any true acknowledgement or allegiance. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgment of good rather than burnt offerings. Hosea 6, 6. Sound familiar? Echoing Gomer's eventual terrible outcome before Hosea's ultimate intervention, Hosea really runs with the alarming image of Israel's coming consequence of slavery. Hosea 11, 1-7 encapsulates our rescue of Israel from Egypt with the tender images of my teaching my children to walk, of lifting them to my cheek even, only to end in their figurative, obstinate, adolescent return to Egypt in spite of all the ties of love with which I have bound myself to them. They're not actually going back to Egypt. Hosea 7:11. They're going into exile in Assyria not quite exactly as slaves, but exiles are certainly not free people. You'll recall that the oppression of the poor was Amos's primary subject issue, something Hosea attacks in 12.7-9, where the image of the false scale indicts Israel, whom you'll remember Hosea likes to call Ephraim. Commerce is conducted by weights and scales, and a false scale tells the poor customer they have a pound of flour when they only have three quarters. Similarly, your big companies put an ounce or two less in a slightly smaller can or carton of something, but keep charging you the same. 
Hosea's habitat doesn't have a corner on false scales. We have not stopped keeping track of them, either. Because of Israel's deceitful oppression of the poor, the people I once delivered from Egypt, delivered and then placed in a land filled with sturdy homes, those same people will be back to living in tents again. In contrast to various dire warnings through images of destruction, judgment, and exile through the remaining body of Hosea's lecture, his final chapter is a simple sweet plea for Israel to return to me, to trust no longer in the strength of Assyria, nor in the statues of idols made by human hands, but in our mercy instead. Hosea 14 is worth the 90 seconds it'll take you to read it in Tom. Just to see the colorful images which develop after our core promises to heal their waywardness and love them freely. Hosea 14.4 Hosea and Amos could be preaching their lectures in the downtown closest to you right now. Forget downtown, they could be preaching these at the nearest intersection. Now, we won't get out our whole conceptual transfer process in order to examine trust in idols and other nations in these prophets' habitat in comparison to the trust in wealth, power, success, overwork, politics, and so on in yours, or of making sexual pleasure into the God towards which all your energy is aimed or of the going through the church emotions of a feigned relationship with us when your heart not only isn't in it, but belongs to someone or something else, or of the disregard of the poor around you, whether you're overcharging them for rent or services or goods, or simply walking past them without acknowledging their existence as a fellow human being created in our image just as fully as you are. But don't you dare gloss through without a heart check on all these matters. You know me well enough to know by now that the reason these stories are all here is to trigger and enable your heart check. We'll go back and check in with Kings and Chronicles here in a moment to see if Israel pays any heed to our warnings to our children, though spoiler alerts are hardly needed at this point. First, though, and by all means, remember that these lectures are my shouts as a dad to his kids who are headed straight for the edge of a cliff and don't realize it. The problem is that they've become so allured by others that they don't believe me anymore when I am the only one telling them the truth. Some of the language we use with them is unapologetically unsettling, to put it mildly, especially to your habitat. It needs to be unsettling to their coarser thinking. So, of course, you, in your highly evolved and refined sensibility, will be a bit disconcerted. If you bothered to crack Tom open at all and read Hosea's full lecture text, and if these closing statements about him are piquing your curiosity finally, it's not too late to give Hosea's full lecture a read. Just keep in mind what we've just said about habitat sensibilities. Those issues really come to the fore in these lectures for the reasons we've just stated. Our call to you and your habitat is just as custom-made 
and unsettling in its own yet markedly different way. We'll get to that as the Abra plan unfolds. For now, you can learn a whole lot from Hosea and Amos, that's for sure. But remember that your reaction to them is passing in a big way through your habitat filter. Before we leave Hosea altogether, one other thing we'd like you to notice from that prophet in particular is the way you can learn about us, our love for you, and some of the dynamics of our relationship with you through the significant relationship you have with the closest human in your life. Just as Hosea gained tremendous insight into my heart and love and tragic heartbreak through his relationship with Gomer, you can gain a good deal of wisdom from your ongoing interaction with someone you love. It doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse, though that's the nearest equal. Romance doesn't have to be a factor, but again adds resonance. When your husband is listening and reciprocating, when the two of you are totally in sync, then life is a delight. When your relationship with your wife is firing on all cylinders, all the other circumstances in your life are more than manageable, even if they're tough. Likewise, when you are listening to us, timing your steps with us on the way, there is a bounty and joy to life unassailable by circumstance. If you're in a wonderful time like this with your spouse, turn this experience with them into a metaphor for your life with me. Be affirmed and encouraged if you're already on the way. If you are somehow managing to be in the zone with your spouse and are not on the way with us, then think about how awesome life will be when you are in sync not only with your spouse, but also with the one who made you and gave you each to one another. If, however, your spouse is aloof and doesn't return your affection for any number of reasons, that hurts. If they are so focused on their own desires and agenda that they don't even notice you or your efforts to connect, it's hard to not let that repeated rejection result in your not making those efforts as much. Well, friend, in this equation, I am the one making the efforts to connect, and you're the one who's aloof. When you feel that tinge in your heart when your spouse is unresponsive, let me know about it. Let me know about it and then hold a mirror up to see if there's been a time that day you can recognize that I've been trying to connect with you and you haven't noticed. If there is a noticing and ongoing awareness you'd love to have bloom in your spouse, try cultivating that same awareness about our life with you within yourself. And as we've touched on before, there is little, if anything, in life more painful than learning that your spouse has committed adultery and yielded themselves to another. Likewise, when you are seduced away from me into the arms of an idol of your age, be it wealth, success, whatever, it is never something I take lightly. We don't simply say, oh well, we tried, but that one got away. No. The loss of any one of you is a cause of mourning and deep sorrow. So spare me the anguish and stay on the way with us already. 
and give the folks around you a hand up onto it. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.